Our scripture reading today is 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. And if you are following along and paying attention, you might ask, what happened to chapters 14, 15, and 16? And that's a good question. But today is my last Sunday with you for a while, and I thought I couldn't leave you hanging midway through the story. I wanted to at least get you to how the story ends, at least for the northern tribes of Israel. Because I also thought if I came back in September and picked up in the middle of the story, uh, both you and I probably would have forgotten how we got there. I can tell you this, chapters 14, 15, and 16 are more of the same. A story about a king in Judah, and then a story about a king in Israel, and back and forth they go, and most of them were not good kings. If they were good kings, it was only partially so. Uh, there were, there's a civil war between the north and the south. There's a king who sacrifices his own son in uh, the fire in false worship. And so we finally arrive at chapter 17. <clears throat> Listen to God's word. <clears throat> In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. <clears throat> and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. And Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs the king of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God the things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree, and there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did, whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which Yahweh had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet Yahweh warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes, in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in Yahweh their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. 
And they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom Yahweh had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of Yahweh their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divinations and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of Yahweh, provoking him to anger. Therefore, Yahweh was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of Yahweh their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And Yahweh rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following Yahweh and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until Yahweh removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear Yahweh. Therefore Yahweh sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them. And behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you have carried away from here, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear Yahweh. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. The men of Babylon made sakath Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adremelech and Anemelech the gods of Sepharvaim. They also feared Yahweh and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared Yahweh, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day they do according to the former manner. They do not fear Yahweh and they do not follow the statutes or the rules or the law or the commandment that Yahweh commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Yahweh made a covenant with them and commanded them, You shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. 
you shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandments that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods, and you shall not forget the covenant I have made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear Yahweh, your God. And he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. However, they would not listen. But they did according to their former manner. So these nations feared Yahweh and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did. So they do to this day. Well, it has been about a year since we have been in the book of Kings, and we've taken a few breaks along the way, and we watched the careers of Elijah and Elisha. And along the way, we saw the sad decline of the nation of Israel, divided as it was after the death of Solomon. There were the two tribes of Judah in the south, with its capital, Jerusalem. And the ten tribes of Israel in the north, with its capital, Samaria. And beyond its border was the country of Syria, with its capital, Damascus. A thorn in their side for so many years. But to the north and to the east of Syria is the growing empire of Assyria and its capital city, Nineveh. Yes, think Jonah. The books of Kings tells the story of the two halves of the nation. Going back and forth, first one and then the other and then back again, sometimes spending several chapters describing just a few years under one king. And other times, as in chapter 15, which we have not read, skimming over the lives of seven kings in just one chapter. And you can see there's this acceleration at the end, which is why it's okay for me to accelerate through those last two chapters to get you to chapter 17. This downward spiral brings us to chapter 17, where the northern tribes are brought to an end. And so chapter 17 is a, a brief description of how it ends. It happens in some sense rather suddenly and a little surprisingly perhaps. But chapter 17 is also a sermon. It is an extended sermon on why this happened. It's a sermon for people in exile to explain why they're in exile. That is why the nation of Judah later is in exile. It's a warning to them. That as God has dispersed the northern tribes, He has also punished and is disciplining the south. Of all the ways we could approach chapter 17, I've chosen to do this. I want to show you how nearly everything we are doing here this morning is, by God's grace, the exact opposite of what's happening in chapter 17. I want to show you how almost everything we're doing here this morning is, by God's grace, the exact opposite of what happens in chapter 17, and I want to do that through a series of contrasts, four of them really, between uh, what happens, what's happening here and what's happening in Israel. And the first is the contrast in the result, that is, between being scattered and being gathered. Being scattered versus being gathered. 
we come to learn that the nation of Assyria, growing and expanding, has a military strategy of conquering and then dividing. So they would conquer one nation, they would capture their people, and they would sprinkle those people over all the geographical areas of the other nations they had conquered. And so they would accomplish a number of things. They would divide up the subjects, but they would repopulate the land that had been captured and conquered, and they would repopulate with bits and pieces of all the other nations that they were in the business of conquering. So they would divide up their subjects, they would repopulate each region, but they would also disperse every people group everywhere so they could never be reconstituted as a nation again. So they would not gather and rise up and act in rebellion against the king of Assyria. And that proved to be a very effective strategy. But it helps to explain a good number of things and it helps us to read the rest of the Bible and to open our eyes to some things that we might easily skip over. Explains why they've scattered the Israelites over their vast and growing empire. But it also begins to explain the smorgasbord of religions in the land of Israel. You see, as conquered people from other nations were brought in part to the land of Israel, they brought with them their own sinful hearts and their own false worship practices, their vanquished gods, which if you think about it makes no sense at all, but they brought their gods with them. And as they resettled into the land of Israel, there's all kinds of commingling. And this explains, for example, why when we get to the New Testament, we understand the people of Israel, that is Judea, why they hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans, as they have become called, because they're a blend of people from different nations settled into the region around Samaria, the capital of that once great northern Israel. They were coming, these foreigners, into the geographical land of promise, God's land given to God's people, belonging to God's true and pure descendants of Abraham. But by then, by the time of the New Testament, in fact, not very long after this story here, we have this muddled mix of nationalities intermarried so many times over that their country of origin was unknown and unknowable. And so you can understand this disdain on the part of Israel in the south. It also explains why Jesus, when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well, has a conversation with her about right worship. And why he challenges her she who has inherited this stream of blended worship of all kinds of things. And he challenges her on the location of her worship that is not at Jerusalem in the temple. And he challenges her on the proper object of her worship. But then he reveals himself to her as the Messiah. 
She, was, she had some expectation of a Messiah coming, an anointed one, the Christ. And he says, it is I. But what happens in 2 Kings chapter 17 also explains the last words of Jesus to his disciples just as he's about to ascend into heaven. What makes those words so striking? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And with those words still ringing in our ears, we see God's people scattered in 2 Kings chapter 17. Scattered so badly, so widely, they will never be brought together again. These are the ten lost tribes of Israel. And then we look around us, and we notice we are gathered. We are bound together. This isn't exactly a great nation, a great multitude of people here, but Jesus, who came not to destroy but to build, not to scatter but to gather in, not to divide but to unite, has brought you together. And here we are gathered in one place, one people from many places, and very few of you are ethnically Jews. Very few of you could trace your family line back to Abraham and to the promises of God to him. But here's what you can do. You can trace your line back to Jesus. One body made of many parts and just a little picture of what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth, populated and repopulated by a multitude no one will be able to number, made up of every tongue and tribe and people group on earth. And so today, instead of being scattered and dispersed, blown into the wind, we're gathered. And not only that, we're gathered and we are going to be adding to this visible expression of the church to new members today. Scattered versus gathered. The second contrast is between false worship and true worship. You see, right at the heart of their downfall uh, is the false worship that was rampant. The Lord had told and shown these people He was bigger and better than all the other gods of all the other nations and worthy of their worship. Notice how this passage and so many others in Scripture actually make it sound like the gods actually have standing and status, all the idols. They have names. They're attached to places. And God says, the Lord Yahweh, their God, says, I am greater than all these gods. And we know in a real sense, he is the only God. And he's framed his relationship to his people of old in terms of a marriage, a covenant relationship. He would bless them, and in his promise to Abraham, he would make them into a great nation. He would give them the good land in which to live and to enjoy. He would be there with them. He would live among them, and they would delight in peace and prosperity and in the presence of the Lord with them. They became a great nation in Egypt in their time of slavery. 
They entered the land, having been constituted a nation at Mount Sinai, they entered the land under the leadership of Joshua. They expelled mostly, but not entirely, the nations that had populated the land as an act of God's judgment through them. And for a time, they enjoyed the peace and prosperity in the presence of Yahweh with them at the highest point under the reigns of David and Solomon. But as part of that relationship, Yahweh demanded of them complete devotion, that they would be faithful to Him alone, that they would reject and repudiate all the gods that were attached to all the little parts of the land as worthless idols. He let them know He was a jealous God in that marriage. He would not share His glory with another. And His covenant relationship carries with it blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And then He tells them this. If you want to become like the nations you've expelled, and if you want to worship their gods instead, I will turn you loose and turn you over to yourselves, and you will become like the nations, and you, like they, will be expelled from the land. They'd be banished from the land, deprived of its blessings and benefits, cast out even from the presence of God, Captured best, I think, in the line in verse 15, they went after false idols and became false. Or they went after worthless idols and became worthless. And the picture of the garden, of Adam and Eve being expelled from the joys and the blessings of life in abundance and in fellowship with God is renewed or replayed here with the northern tribes. They're banished. They became what they worshipped. And they become altogether dissolved and disorganized and disbanded and dispersed and scattered to the winds. Because rejection of God results in rejection by God. And here it's seen in their visible ejection from the land banishment from the benevolent presence of God. Evicted from fellowship with God for which they were created, that they were intended to enjoy, all because of their rejection of God and God's wrath on them for that rejection. So their rejection results in ejection, and it all sounds a little bit like hell doesn't it? The people of Israel sold themselves to these other gods, and they set up this garage sale of religious practices. They'd done that throughout their history, and it's amplified now in the repopulation and the reintroduction of all these other idols into the land. They feared Yahweh, but then they didn't really because they worshipped all these other carved images. And then notice this sad, sad news at the end. As the fathers and the mothers, so the children and the grandchildren 
and their children's children. So they do to this day. We, on the other hand, by God's grace, have gathered today to worship the true and living God. We gather and repudiate all other gods and idols, anything else that we might imagine putting above God. And we gather in the presence, the benevolent presence of God. So there's this contrast between scattered and gathered, false worship and true worship. The third contrast is between receiving versus rejecting of God's word. Receiving versus rejecting. From the reign of David to the dispersion of the northern tribes at the hands of Assyria is a period of about 275 years. Not that long. And the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people. Much of the attention we've been looking at has been on Elijah and Elisha, but there were others, often unnamed. And they were sent by God to bring God's word to God's people, reminding them of God's promises, promising them uh, God's goodness and his benevolence for their obedience, but also warning them of God's judgment, calling them to faithful worship, to rejection of idols, to trust in him during times of trial and trouble, that he would deliver them and defend them from their enemies, and that he would live with restored, joyful communion in fellowship with them as they followed him. And as an act of God's mercy throughout the generations, and especially as we see this in the books of Kings, throughout the reigns of subsequent kings, God sent them prophets. Prophet after prophet. And how many times do we hear this in the chapter, yet they didn't listen? Oh, they heard them. They heard them, but they didn't listen. And their failure to listen to and to heed the word of God leads to their downfall. Today, we're not only gathered, we not only worship the true and living God, but we do this in a service saturated with his word. And to put a little cherry on top today, we're going to give copies of that word to our high school graduates. And there's a final contrast, and that's between forgetting and remembering. One of the lists, on the list of charges against Israel, and this shows up in a kind of bookend form, is this charge of forgetting. Certainly false worship is the manifestation of this, but they forgot the God of the Exodus. They forgot God's primary spectacular act of deliverance. That by his mighty arm, in keeping with his covenant promises, he had sent Moses to deliver them from their oppression and their slavery as they cried out, and he brought them to the promised land. And in that act of deliverance, the Lord not only proved his vast superiority over all the gods of Egypt... He demonstrated his great love for his people in feeding them and providing water for them in their wilderness wanderings. And then he brought them into the promised land, gave them victory over the nations as they dispossessed those nations, unable to withstand Yahweh's presence with his people 
while they stood and prayed to and sacrificed to their gods, gods of the land. And it seems so remarkable that they would so soon forget such a spectacular deliverance. You remember it began in the, in the wilderness already with grumbling. And then this just devolves into chaos once they're in the land. They forgot and they forsook the Lord who delivered them. They substituted Yahweh uh, with all these shiny new gods of the nations to them. Yahweh conquered them and yet they turned to those gods. They forgot Well, today we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and it's a feast at which we especially remember the greatest and the most ultimate act of God's salvation and deliverance, the death and resurrection of Jesus, by which He defeats our enemies and His spectacularly, by which He establishes and asserts His authority and superiority by which He delivers us from our slavery to sin out of a land of bondage and darkness, that He might bring us into the full fellowship of, our new, of a new heaven and a new earth in union and communion with people from all over that He's gathering into one place to worship the great God who's greater than all other gods and the one who not only made heaven and earth, but who redeems us and has in His interest the restoration and renewal of all things through Christ. So today we gather, we worship, we listen, and we remember. But I couldn't leave you without one final word. The message of 2 Kings chapter 17 is a rather sad one, and it's full of warning, and we should heed it. You see, it's not only unbecoming, it's not only unbecoming, but it's highly dangerous to play the game of self-congratulation. As if all we're doing here today is unfettered and unalloyed worship of God, gathered as God's people, listening to His Word and remembering His greatest and mightiest act of salvation. As if God would not have us feel the gravity of the judgment on the northern tribes or have us recognize that we have tasted greater things than they and that there is for us today still a danger of drifting off, of neglecting to gather, of worshiping other things or maybe worshiping God but other things as well or of shutting off God's word, hearing it, but not listening to it. Or maybe even we might say listening to it, but then ultimately ignoring it. And we too can be forgetful people. I was concerned that when we came to September, you would forget where we were in 2 Kings. God's concerned that you forget his great and mighty acts of deliverance in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to gather today, and I think you'll still do this when I'm gone, because you have a newly minted pastor who can lead you 
at communion from month to month and who will bring God's word to you. Listen to him, eat, remember, believe, and worship. Let's pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, for this long journey through 2 Kings and 1 Kings before it. Lord, we do hear the warning. How we give you thanks that your son came to gather the scattered, to restore the exiled, to bring into one place the dispersed, to deliver the enslaved, and to fill our hearts renewed after his image with praise and adoration. Lord, receive our thanks for all this. Receive our worship and our praise. Keep us faithful by the corrective voice of your word, by the powerful work of your spirit, always having us see our Lord and our Savior, not only remembering, but giving you thanks and living out of the resources he gives us in the very life he supplies us in our union with him. So receive our thanks. Hear our prayer. We ask it and we offer it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people say together, amen.